which by the way, is such a great revelation, isn't that? When you start to really, you befriend time. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. And a blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I am super stoked to introduce you to Noelle. And this is a mouthful, everybody. Van Vleer Bergen. Yay, Noelle, did I do it right? Yes, that was perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Noelle is an author and she is uh, an addiction recovery coach. She has created this, this journal. It's called Day by Day Book that I have. And it's not only for sober people, but it's for non-sober people. Um, I am... I have given it to friends who aren't doing the sober lifestyle because it's just an incredible journal, which she'll get into. But Noelle, welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we want to hear your story. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your family. We love that part. Okay. Okay. So I grew up in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago. I um, left when I was 22 to move to San Francisco, much to my mother's chagrin because she couldn't believe that I was up and leaving right after college, but it was snowing in April. And so a friend of mine and I were in a bar <laughs> looking out the window and saying, this is, this gotta be better than this. <laughs> so we decided that we were going to move to California. She moved sight unseen. I had been to San Francisco once, but um, so we did that. Okay. We were 22. I figured I had a credit card and I had about, I think probably like a $1,200, uh, limit and I was on easy street. <laughs> so, no so we way. decided to move out oh there gosh. and, um, we stayed for 30 years. So I was planning on being out there for a year and just fell in love with it. And ended up uh, staying, and not until about two years ago, when I moved to Austin, um, did I yeah. decide to move away from the West yeah. Coast, which was very sad, but but also just a really incredible and fun move too. So I saw on LinkedIn that you worked at a spree, and I, I wanted to die because <laughs> that was my favorite clothing store growing up. Oh. It was, I felt like oh I won God. the lottery when I got that job. I, I've been in HR for many, many years. And so right. I think that was like my, I don't know, maybe like my third, third job when I was out in the Bay Area and it was in an old winery and it was just beautiful. And we used to get sample sales and I would live for the sample sales because I had, you know, friends that had kids and nieces and nephews that you could, that you could buy for. And it was, it was a blast. That was a oh. really, really fun, fun job to have. Um, I love to spree. All right. So, so I know that got us off topic. Um, oh, what are you in fit? Like any siblings? What are you? Yes. Okay. So family of four, wise. four kids. I am the youngest. Um, we're okay. all pretty close in age. So I have a sister that's two years older than me, another one that's a year older than her. And then my brother who's two years older than that. So, um, my parents had us when they were very young. Um, and they are okay. still off and, you know, exploring They're 83 and 84 and they're in Sweden right now, just traveling around. Um, yeah, so there, we grew up kind of in, what's so interesting about my family, I feel like is 
And I said, I was talking to my brother the other day and I said, you know, I feel like we all have sort of a, a pretty rich internal world. And when I say that, it's like, I feel like my parents have always been really just very curious, always wanting to learn, always wanting to travel, like just have always had that curiosity about them. And so I kind of feel like they've instilled that in all of us. Um, and even just being out here in the pandemic, I'm like, you know, I, I moved out to a new place and it was a week before shutdown. And I have had more fun just wow. like writing and just, just kind of doing a lot of sort of internal stuff that I don't think that I would normally do. Um, but I just am really comfortable with yeah. that. And it's interesting that my parents, I just feel like that's kind of something they taught us. Yeah. Why yeah. do you think that they, uh, what was their experience that gave them that opportunity to, to focus on the internal? I don't, you know, I just think that they are both, my mother was an English major and then she went into psychology and she's just always been a avid reader. Um, my father was an attorney for his whole career. Um, just always very curious, mm -hmm. always wanting to learn. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what it is that instilled it in them, but I, I'm so grateful to have that. Um, and just the fact, you know, that they went on this trip just recently after they've been, you know, in Chicago in crazy, crazy weather and crazy times. Right. Um, and they're out exploring again. It's just, I don't know. I guess it's just something that I always have admired about them. And with, uh, I don't know if you, if you use the term alcoholic or alcoholism, any, any alcohol, uh, addiction in the family? Yes. So I'm um, actually, I mean, there's okay. been addiction on both sides of my parents' family. Um, and, you know, we just grew up around a lot of drinking. And I have, mm -hmm. I got sober 10 years ago. Um, my sister, who is three years older than me. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Um, she is thank about you. three years older than me. And she got sober at 25. So she's been sober for many years. And so I kind of grew up with, I, I guess when I got sober, I definitely had that sort of support system within the family. Um, but having had that be kind of the, it's always been sort of the threat of the family in terms of not, I mean, everybody's just always drank in our family. And so when my sister and I both got sober, mm -hmm. It was kind of like, oh, wow. I mean, this is a whole new dynamic that we kind of all have to work around. But, um, you know, I grew up with my father who drank a lot, um, who doesn't as much anymore. He's a lot older now, so he can't. But, you know, a lot of that feeling of somebody being kind of absent. Um, and so when I did get mm -hmm. sober, it, it meant a lot more to me than I really realized it, it would, right? Because I almost felt like I was able to do something that he never really got to in terms of really quitting and, and having alcohol not be a part of his life anymore, um, which is obviously a personal choice, but um, it definitely framed my thinking and shaped me as I, as I grew up. So um, yeah, making that move was very important on a lot of different levels for me. So listeners, um, I have met with Noel before this and, and we talked about well, my executive coach connected me with Noel, and uh, I have been interested in sort of like sober living, and so many of you know that already. And so I immediately after I met Noel, I bought her day by day book, and I love journals. 
and I love goal setting. And what I was recognizing, I would set all these goals, but I, I didn't really check in with myself around feelings and my mood. And so you can achieve a goal and you can get there and then you get there and you're like, well, that wasn't even fun or that wasn't how X, Y, Z I want to feel. And uh, Noelle's book, Noelle's journal, which isn't just for getting sober, it's for anybody. Uh, and Noelle, I want you to, sh- to share the differences and stuff, but it's been super helpful in, in goal setting, but then how I want to feel around it. So that's been a benefit for me. Will you share how you started this and why? Yes, absolutely. So when I got sober in 2011, I started journaling. I mean, I had journaled when I was younger, but I don't really recall any like significant journaling. I know I wrote you know, all through my life, but yeah. I started journaling when I got sober. And I say to people, and I, I really do mean this wholeheartedly, that writing pretty much saved my life. Um, when I did get sober in 2011, I started writing a ton and I knew that I wanted, I started working in recovery coaching. So that was a couple years after I got sober. And I knew that I wanted to share some things with my clients that just the basics, because I feel like, you know, and I don't know if you've experienced this at all, Sarah, but you know, you, you get sober, there's really, there's no playbook out there. There's nobody that's really telling you how to do it. Um, there's really no, unless you know somebody that's been in sobriety for a, m- a number of years, you may not have any frame of reference. So you're kind of thrown into this whole different world and you're just trying to kind of, I mean, in my case, I had been a heavy drinker for eight years. So I was just trying to kind of, I don't know, see which end was up and I needed something to guide me. Yeah. So what I did is I wrote and I ended up writing a book and I published the book in 2018. It's called The Sober Leap. And it was basically just kind of some tenets to really kind of live a sober life by. It was things that I had learned along the way. It was things that I felt were kind of my values that came out even more strongly once I got sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, that was the start See, of it in 2018. I, but I had, I, for me though, I did have a frame of reference because I did AA and then I had family members who had been in that. Yep. So I had that and I recognize that's not for everyone. And I think what this like, it's almost like a renaissance around having a sober lifestyle Uh, there are more options for people. It's not, you have to go to AA. That's the only way that you get sober because it doesn't work for everybody. And so I love that now that people have options, you've given them an option. There wasn't an option. There was really not an option 15 years ago. I don't think. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think that that has just taken off in the past, maybe five, six years. I mean, I feel like every, every year things start to come into view, but it, I mean, I can remember five years ago when I was doing yoga retreats and I was like, this is kind of it. And you had the AA people and you had the non-AA people. And there was a little bit of a kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a tension there too, because I think AA people didn't understand why other people were Total using other. Tension. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was a, I went to Alateen when I was young and that was just because I was kind of the disturber of the family and I kind of, <laughs> I needed to get out and talk to somebody about what was going on in my house kind of thing. And I loved it when I was a teen because I feel like it was an outlet for me. Then I, when I went into AA with my sister, so I would, uh, I would attend a meeting or two with my sister just kind of to support her. And I don't know, for some reason when I got, I just, it didn't speak to me as an adult as much. And 
So when I did get yeah. sober, I didn't yeah. even go that route. And I, I, it's, it's almost like I can't even explain why it just did not, it didn't feel like a fit for me. Um, so, so anyways, when yeah. I wrote this book, which I thought was, you know, was mo- mostly to just give to clients and have them be able to have some kind of guidance. Um, within that same year, I was writing curriculum for a coach friend of mine. And during that time, I started realizing, you know, I had kind of, there was a, there was a system that I sort of used that was kind of an informal system that just helped me when I was getting sober. And so I thought, you know, I would love to put together a journal or something to get people to write because it was so important to me. I felt like that was just such a, it's such a way to get things up and out. Wait, let's, let's talk about though, why it's so important for an alcoholic or an addictive behavior, why it's so important to be able to name that feeling or journal it out. Well, I don't know if everybody knows that. Yes. And I think, so, so when I think of, I'll just talk about my experience. Everybody has a different one. But when I first got sober, the first, I think two things that were, became very, very apparent to me was one, I had been avoiding feeling for many, many years. And two, Mm -hmm. I had just did not have any understanding, even spatially about being inside my body. Right. So I, and I can remember this vividly because when I was, when I was taking yoga classes, I can remember thinking, wow, this is so like, this is so strange to me that I'm feeling some of these things that I just have not, because I was numbing out for many, many years. Right. So um, the feeling side of it, and this is where the journaling really helped. And this is what I think is so amazing that people don't necessarily understand or, or, or get if they're not journal writers, but you probably understand this, Sarah, because you've, you've been journaling for, I'm sure many years, but it is yeah. the, your subconscious, like things come out on paper that you have no idea where we're going on in your head. So it's, it's really an exploration. It's kind of like, okay, not only am I getting in touch with how I'm feeling, but I'm able to put things down on paper that are just awakening my senses and, and helping me to understand what's actually going on because there is a disorientation. Mm-hmm. Now this is for, I mean, I was a heavy drinker. So there was a disorientation when I came into this sober world. So I was trying to calm my central nervous system. I was trying to figure out what the heck was going through my mind. Why was I crying? Like just randomly things would come up and I just start to cry. And it was just, just getting that emotion up and out that I had been suppressing for so long. And so writing is something that I think is, it's just, it's, it's such a missed opportunity because I know everything's digital these days. And when people say to me, oh, you should get the journal, you should have it be a digital journal. I kind of say, you know what, I don't, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I think there's, there is such a gift in being able to reflect and that self-reflection after you've been able to kind of just write it all down. I mean, people say this all the time and this is writers, writers always talk about this. And I, I feel like I experienced this when I wrote that book. If you asked me some of the things that I wrote in that book, I would not remember them. I mean, I would not, I... Because it's right. such a, cath- I have the same it's thing. It's crazy. It's like a cathartic experience. Yeah. I think for me, the journaling. So this like day one in an AA meeting, I brought a journal, brought it with me today with you. I brought, this is, I mean, this is a newer one because I've gone through like yeah. five of them, but I, I will just write, I will write stuff out um, because I, I did need to process and I was denying feelings and 
I drink over feelings. I want to drink over feeling a certain way. And I couldn't numb anymore. And the the writing was a way of like self-soothing mm-hmm. and giving it helped me process things, sure, but it also became became meditative and a little bit self-soothing for me yes. too. Because you have to find something now different, right? To numb it's not even to numb because you realize when you get sober, the numbness goes away, right? And now you're feeling like hyper sensitive levels. Everything. Yes. Which is ultimately yeah, the gift. I used to say, I like year one, it is ultimately a gift. I remember the year one, I, I felt like I was like a live wire. <laughs> <laughs> like just like, yes. You know? Uh, but it is because then with, with great sorrow, you also have great joy and everything like that. So, yeah. and it, it did even out for me. Well, too. And that's what I, I like to tell people because totally. when people are in their first year of sobriety, I mean, it's like walking out of a movie theater, right? You're like, <sighs> everything's way too bright. And there's just, a lot, there's a lot going on. That's a good analogy. Yeah. But after that, I mean, I feel like the, yeah, the, there's a lot. the first year that is really the hump. And then I think it, then you start to realize, wow, okay, there's something going on here that's actually really good. And I can remember what my sister told me. Yeah. And this is something that I just, it, you know, I, when I sat down to tell my sister, who had been sober for many years, and I went to go see her for, for dinner. We went out to dinner, and I was going to tell her. And, of course, she had no idea because I drank alone, and I never would get on a phone call with my family after I'd been drinking, like I was very covert. I was very like, cause it just, you know, I kind of shut the shades and it was my time. And you know, and and there's a lot of people, obviously they're much more social drinkers, but I was definitely the opposite. And so when I told my sister, Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I, I, you know, this is what's going on. I need to stop. I understand now. I mean, and we knew that this was a family kind of thing. And she was, and she said, you know, I had no idea. Yeah. Right. And, I said, and she's like, but, but don't you understand? Like, cause I was like, I was just, you know, I was a mess. And she said, but don't you understand? This is when all the good stuff starts. And I was like, oh my God. And to this day, I love that. I just, I, I remember that so vividly because I kept thinking about that, you know, I three years in and I'd be like, oh my God, she's so right. Like it was just, I was opening my eyes to my life, which was I, crazy. So this, this podcast for me is a gift of sobriety. Oh, I love that. This wouldn't have happened if I weren't sober. Yeah. And the people that you meet that are sober, yeah. that's, I mean, that's kind of just when I met, you oh. know, meeting you for the first time, Sarah, I was like, okay, once again, I find these kindred spirits because, you know, we all, and this is another yeah. thing my sister has said to me, uh, you know, she's like, no, I'll think about it this way. All the people that, that are sober now, we're, I mean, think of how fun those people are. <laughs> think about like, these are people that are out there like, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's now, it, now it's a heightened, it's much more heightened kind of what we can bring to the world. So if you were having fun with them when you were drinking buddies. It's way more heightened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just is. It's yes. And, and, but what's funny about that though, and not funny is that the number one thing that I worried about when I got sober is that I wasn't going to be fun oh, anymore. I know. Because I thought drinking made me more yes. fun, which is such bullshit. Yes, it is. I'm so much more fun. Yes, now. Well, and think about like when you I was. when you think about or I'm having more fun. Well, exactly. I think that's it, right? You're actually bringing more to the to the party because you're not 
in a state of depression or in a state of trying to constantly numb out. I mean, that's when I when I think of people thinking, you know, oh, party girl, that you know, so much fun and you're having such a great time. It's like it it kind of it, it pulls at my heart because it just you can see you can see where the sadness lies in that too. And it's not to say that everybody that's yeah. out there having fun and having a drink is is you know going through turmoil, but you know there is so much to be said about being there and being present and having conversations and being able to go deeper, you know, and then to wake up in the morning and feel really good. Yes, <laughs> I mean maybe not fantastic, but and better to sleep. Right, but but way better, and to sleep yes. through the night. Oh, without the sweats or the shakes or the whatever. I didn't get the shakes, but I did get, I did for sure get the, the sweats. Yeah. It was gross. Yes. Noelle, uh, right now for your coaching clients, most of your, co- your, all your coaching clients yes. are women. Yes. Yes. And what do you find is, is sort of the biggest struggle that they have when they first get sober? Oh gosh, I think it runs. It can run the gamut depending kind of on on what type of drinker they were. Um, I do often have women that were very social drinkers, and oftentimes I do have women that ha- still have a partner who still drinks. So that's a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. my work has been around navigating sort of the social aspect of it because we don't realize this, and this is where um, I think it's it's really important to point out that. You know, living a sober lifestyle is such an important decision that people make, and it's a health. It's it's related to health. It's related to mental, physical health, all of those things. But there's also a, a social aspect to it that I think is really important, and that people feel a little bit lost when they don't have that. Um, I don't know that ability to navigate that, and it's like I said. You know, we. Typically, when we get sober, we don't really have that roadmap. And so if you're living with somebody who is continuing to drink, how do you navigate that? How do you, you know, things like, I mean, and I've had conversations where it's like, okay, so going out to dinner, like, how do I, how do I approach this? We go out and we're having friends, we're having friends to our house for dinner. How do I approach this? How do I tell people that I don't drink? That's, I mean, some of this feels super logistical, but it's, it's a, it's a big thing for people. Well, and it can create a lot of anxiety yes. if you don't have a plan around it. Yes. And I always felt like if I had a plan, I felt so much safer. And if I felt uncomfortable somewhere, I'd make sure that I had a car yes. and I could get out of there. Yes. Well, and you know, you, you yeah. also have to realize too, and I think I know I felt this, you probably did at least in the short term, was there's an insecurity to it, right? I mean, I can remember laying, oh I can remember God. being like, I am not only not going to be any fun anymore. I'm going to have no friends. I remember thinking that like, it was like that drastic yeah. feel of like, I am not going to have any friends. Nobody's going to want to hang yeah. out with me. I mean, which is so untrue. It's yeah. so untrue when you really think about it. But when you're in that state, it's an insecurity that just yes. you have to move, move through and get on the other side of. Well, because it's so much part of your yes. identity and then it's gone. I, I, you know, I think it's anyone who goes through dramatic change. We, it, it's, you know, you, you go through the same emotions of grieving. I mean, I had to grieve a lifestyle that I had before, but I also knew that I didn't want that lifestyle before. And I think that's what carries you through, right? Ultimately, that is what really propels you forward because it's like, I'm not going back there. I mean, I know this might be uncomfortable, but I'm not going back there. No. So 
No. And they would, I would always, I would have a sponsor that would always say to me, just play the tape forward. So if you do choose to have that drink tonight, what's that going to look like tomorrow and the next day and the oh, next day? So Cause you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to get back to where you were, maybe even worse. Well, and typically once we've come to that realization yeah. and we've hit that spot where we've made the decision, we've probably had a thousand of those conversations where you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm never going to drink again. And then 4.30 or 5 o'clock rolls around and you start thinking about it. And yeah. it's like a loop. You know, it becomes this like cycle. Okay. Yes. Mental loop. Yes. So I'm obsessed with this topic of mental loops because- I'm writing this this keynote around resiliency and one of the areas of highly resilient people can stop that mental yes. loop. And so I've been I I have been doing this this tactic whatever. And if I'm in a mental loop and I'm in a place of like fear or worry, I will literally say to myself, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And so I called my friend last night who's a psychiatrist and I was like, okay, Brian, you got to tell me like what, what part of the brain am I intercepting? What is this? And yeah. And so he said that he he said, actually, um, and I'm not, I'm going to mess up this whole thing of the part of the brain, but he said, it's very, um, it's sort of meditative what you're doing and you're stopping the mental loop by using a meditative mantra it would be just like you know when you focus on your yes. breathing it's like or, it's like breaking um, the pattern meditation or you, you interrupt the pattern yes. yes yes you're interrupting the pattern yeah he said so it's actually the hippocampus brain structure responsible for regulating emotions and overriding the amygdala, amygdala which is the middle brain structure not technically the midbrain. I thought it was the midbrain. That's responsible responsible for emotions like stress, fear, and anxiety. So to your point, it's stopping that mental loop. That's so crazy. And those were the things that I mean, nobody taught me that growing up, right? Noel. Well, and I think most most people, and you say, you know, in the when people are in, in any kind of going through any kind of change, it is, you do realize that your brain is so programmed a certain way. And, and our brain is programmed for safety, yeah. right? We want comfort. We want safety. So that's really? why I think those things come up where you, you just, it's almost like it's just, you go right back into this pattern of thinking that you're used to, right? It's not, but until you can interrupt that like purposefully, it's, it's hard to break it. But it does make me realize how programmed we all are, right? We really have that programming mm-hmm. set up to be wary of change. And when we were drinking, we had we didn't have as high of an awareness around what those loops um, the, that were that we had. You know, not at all. And and think about it too. I mean, half the time our nervous system was so suppressed. I mean, we weren't, we weren't really at the height of our thinking Mm -hmm. at that point anyways. Right. Um, And, you know, in most cases people fall into depressive states, things like that, where you're not going to be terribly aware of that, which is why when you come out of it, you start feeling and being like, wow, this is all, I mean, this feels really uncomfortable, but I'm feeling something. Um, That's where that logic sort of comes into play and you can start to explore that more. So it's interesting that you said this, that the brain is looking for safety. The other thing that I found is when I say I'm okay, I'm okay. I will also say I'm safe. 
I'm safe. I'm yes. safe. And then listeners, I'm not talking like I had a physical safety issue. Like this is not a domestic violence. This is more of like a discomfort. Yes. And when I tell yes. myself that I'm okay, it relieves that stress around the discomfort. Right. Oh, I love that actually. I, I think I might use that at some point. Because I think it. there's something too about vocally speaking it too, yes. not just thinking it in your mind. Yeah. That Brian really helps. told me too that it brings you, you had mentioned too about being more connected with the body, you know, since you quit drinking. Mm -hmm. And that I had never thought of that. But man, are you right? That that spoke to me. And he said that saying I'm okay mm -hmm. also brings you into the body too a little bit. So but you're right about that. Um, yeah. Body, mind, body connection. Well, and people always use the word grounded, which I always think is kind of, it's just a funny word, but it's, it, it is sort of, it, it brings to mind of like this, you feel more rooted. You just feel yeah. a little bit less like you're floating out there. You're more grounded. You're in your body and you're feeling everything. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. That's why I tell people, people that are new to sobriety, especially, I tell them all the time, just wait, just give it time because it truly will get better and better and better. Yeah, it does. It really does get better, better and better. And, but they won't, yeah. they have to figure that out, right? That's their, and I'm sure you totally. tell them this, you know, that that's like, so their journey, right? Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership, and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck, but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. All right. Let's, yes. Can we talk and about, everybody has a different talk one. about this, girl? I mean, can we just talk about the day? Yes, day? of I course. Mean, my God. All right. You know give I the background of this. Yes. And why? Okay. Like, well, yeah. So, so what I did was I was writing a curriculum. I decided I was going to take a little segue and I was going to put together this journal because when I was getting sober, I used this really sort of simple system, which was basically writing down like you would write down in a journal and I would do little mood checks mm -hmm. and I would just see what those patterns were because I was starting to realize now that there was actually things going on in my life that I'd have a good day. I'd have a not so good day. I mean, the first probably several months of being sober, I was all over the map. Yes. But when I finally realized that I could actually sort of track some of that, I became really curious. And so I started tracking my mood and my energy levels. And I realized that the two things that really um, affect that were my thoughts and my behavior. So my behavior being my activities, kind of different rituals that I would come up with because I wanted to make sure that I replaced old habits with new ones. Mm -hmm. And so 
I came up with this sort of simple system and I thought, I'm going to put this in the journal because first of all, the one thing I know about people that are especially new to sobriety, they don't have a lot of time, or at least you don't perceive that you have a lot of time because your patience is very low. Yeah. So I wanted Except to put that together you a journal that you could- you, you have so much time because you're not spending that time drinking anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, which is, which by the way- is such a great revelation, isn't that? When you start oh to my. really, you befriend time. Yes. Because you're like, oh Wait. my God, I've got time in the morning now. I can Wait. like do all these things. What did you just say? You befriend time? Yeah. It becomes your friend. Because I can remember when I was drinking, I was just trying to get through the day. Trying to get through the day till five. And then I kind of wanted to get through the night because I knew the morning was going to be awful. Like, so time wasn't really on my side at all. It was kind of just there Mm -hmm. and I wasted it a lot. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm up at like 830 and I feel great. What do I want to do? I mean, it, it, it completely shifts. Anyways, so that's kind of, that was the premise behind the book. So I decided, okay, if I put some prompts in here and I'm, and I make sure that the journal has some brevity to it, just so that people don't feel like they've got to sit down for hours. And then, of yeah, course, there's journal yeah. pages in there, too, that you can write more freely. But but yeah. this just gives people the opportunity to say, okay, if I have 10 minutes at the end of my day right. or 10 minutes at the beginning of my day, I can do my check-ins. And then what you do is you accumulate data. That's super important. And the reason why it's super important is because if you can see these patterns of mood and energy and you can start adjusting what you're thinking, which is a lot of this. And that's what I do a lot of work with my clients on is thought patterns and things that you need to rewire. And then adding those activities that bring you joy and that actually increase your energy. It's a game changer. So do you know what to know what this helped me with is I'm pretty, I was pretty into, I'm pretty good on the thought side. Uh, but what I figured out was, uh, I know this is going to sound weird, but I know you don't have food in here, but because this had me mm-hmm. think about movement, rest, no, it did have nourish. It had nourish. Oh my God. In here, yeah. the nourish, I kept recognizing that I had, okay, here is um, six diet Cokes in here. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And <laughs> yep, that, and then I stopped writing yes. that because I felt ashamed. Oh, nope, there it's in there again. And it really, it helped me recognize, wow, I think I need to do something on my nourish area. Mm-hmm. This prompted me yep. to actually get a, um, a um, health coach who was also in the show. Thanks nice. to Susan Green. Thank you, Susan. And nice. yeah, nice. it was because of this that that helped me realize that. I love that. Mm-hmm. But see, that's what, what's so what's so great about it, I think, that is not necessarily, you don't see in a lot of journals, is that it is, sound, it's almost like sound bites. So you get to look at, like, okay, what's the highlight of my day? What are the things that, and at the end of the week, when I start to realize, like, okay, Monday through Wednesday sucked. Yeah. It was awful. What was yeah. going on? What was I doing? Was I eating okay? Was I, it's just a good, it's kind of like a good way to touch base with yourself yeah. more than anything else. And then it kind of brings to the surface some of those things that you might be wanting to pay more attention to. So listeners, this doesn't matter if you are sober or not sober, because the journal I use isn't even the sobriety one. And it, it really does, oh, it right. really does help. Um, 
Also, I want to say that I just love that you do this, Noel. Is that when you send a journal, you you have a handwritten note in there, and I think it's really special and kind. Oh, that's uh, you know what I love that because I I feel connected to people that I send these to. I really do. Yeah. And if I can help anybody, I mean, you know, and when you talk about the recovery journal, I'm going to talk about the other two versions just just to make sure that yes, we clarify because the so what what I did very like just as I started with the recovery journal, that was my first day book, right? Okay. And I went and partnered with treatment centers. I worked with coaches within treatment centers, some behavioral um, health specialists I worked with who were giving it to clients. And then I realized that I was getting feedback just on the system itself. So that's when I decided to create the classic journal, which you, know, they, you could use either one. Yeah. Yeah. And the classic is just for any kind of life change. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the same system in all three of the books, but it just really has more of a focus and more reference material around that. And then I have one that is very dear to my heart that I created for teens and that, oh my gosh, I feel like is much more prevalent now than it ever has been. Yes. Um, and just to help teens to access and express their feelings in just a more productive way. I think they can definitely use at this point, just post pandemic and all of the other things that have oh been going gosh. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so just did a those keynote. are kind of the three different. I just did a keynote for a high school here in Cincinnati. And oh my, first of all, those students were amazing, bright, just oh, whatever. Yes. So awesome. Yes. But I know that they would love it and they want it. And they're all into journals right now too. It's funny, journals are totally back in. Well, and it's a great, it's such a great thing for your, like, to share with a friend, too. I just feel like, you know, yeah, teens love to share things, and it's, and there's a way to well, customize so it. I would love, my, my dream would be to get just, like, a whole bunch of teens that use the book just to share what they do with it, because it's such a, like, canvas for okay, people to Okay, listeners, we need to get, their own. we need to get some teens to do it, so get if you want that, message, message me. Uh, can I ask you something? Okay. So you've got your, your career. I mean, you, you worked in HR, you were an HR leader for a number of years, and then you kind of took a leap to do this work. Would you, yes. uh, Do you think that was a gift of your sobriety? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and the, the leap that I took um, was within this past year was the final leap. I had taken several mini leaps just to, to, to okay. kind of move out of Explain corporate. Explain the mini leaps um, because I think that helps people who have some passion okay. around what they're doing, but maybe they don't feel, yeah. How'd you do that? And you're yes. single, so right? I, you did this all on your own. Yes, I did. I did. But I, um, so I was working in, in HR forever, I feel like, <laughs> for my whole career. And I, three, three and a half, maybe four years ago, decided that I was going to leave. I had been at Apple for nine years. So it was a big, it was a big leap because when you leave Apple, you kind of leave, you know, you leave a very big, big corporation, learned a ton there. I mean, it was, people say it's like graduate school. It kind of is, you know, I think I grew up there um, just in my Mm -hmm. career, really. And yes. so when I left, it was really hard and, you know, it was a difficult decision to make, but I had this, it's kind of like the voice I had that told me to get sober. It was like, I, you have to, you have to move beyond this. You have bigger things to do. And so I ended up leaving in, I want to say it was 2018. And I was asked to come back to do some consulting work to help their employee relations group, came back, ended up working with someone I have always 
just, she's been a mentor of mine and went back in full time for another year and a half. Um, And then finally realized at that point, because it it was just basically, you know, this was mid pandemic and there was a lot of help that was needed. And I was more than, more than willing to do it, but it kind of, it kind of gave me a little bit of a road bump in what I was planning on doing. But I have to tell you this, and this is something that is so important. Um, I don't feel like I was ready at that point. I feel like I did it because I, I had told myself I needed to do it. And so I kind of made the jump. And then when I realized, I mean, and obviously the pandemic had a little bit to do with it. You know, I was moving to a new town. It was, it absolutely supported me through that transition. And then when I, when I actually did leave, which was back in November of last year, I was more than ready. And I had been doing recovery coaching weekends, evenings for four years. I mean, I've been, I had been working toward it, but I knew I had to obviously pay the bills and there's still, you know, people always say, oh, you got to just make the jump. It's like, well, no, you, you do have to also be able to sustain yourself and be able to, you know, be able to, to live your life in a, in a somewhat comfortable way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyways, that's, that's kind of how I did it. But I can tell you it, you'll know when it, the feeling might be this seed that's planted, right? And I just kept telling myself, just kind of go with what, what it's telling me, because I think that that internal voice had, had not steered me wrong to this point. And so I'm so happy that I listened to it. Um, And now I'm just, I, I get up in the morning and I'm like, I feel so lucky to get to do what I do. Like, I mean, and I've always felt like I was, I felt like I was serving on some level, but it's not to the degree that I feel like I'm serving people now. Um, not by a long shot. I love that so much. Uh, we have to wrap things up. Can you share maybe one thing with the group? If there's, if there's one message that you want people to take away from getting sober or using the journal or finding their purpose and passion, what, what's one thing that you think people need to hear right now, especially post-pandemic? Oh, gosh. Well, I would say if they have not tried it, and this is journal yeah. or no journal, just pick up a piece of paper and, and write. Um, because I think that people are going through a really difficult time right now, everybody on different levels. And I just think that it is such a a way to get in touch with yourself, even if it's something in the morning, something that can get you to kind of touch base for, for the day. Because, you know, life runs away from us and we have got some real challenges, I think, just culturally and socially right now that we're all trying to get through. Um, and I just think that it's, yeah. it's something that's sometimes maybe overlooked um, as a really important tool for people to have. So that would be my, my nugget. I guess um, if you're not a writer, you might surprise yourself, you know, even just kind of getting thoughts down on paper. It's really helpful. I will also say I used to tell myself that I was not a writer. Like my mom was a writer and I'm not a writer and everybody's a writer. Everybody can be a writer because it's your voice and your voice matters. So I love that. Yes. Amen, sister. Well, uh, okay. Thank you again. You know, I'm so grateful that you were on this podcast and listeners, we are going to be using Noel's day by day book in our move forward coaching program. So every person is going to get so excited this journal, and then you'll be using so the journal excited. through 
your your coaching journey with us. So, Noel, thanks for making us better. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed it. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. <laughs>